0: welcome to this episode of that's what she said I gotta be honest I'm a little nervous for this one I have with us Marie Phillips who is an accomplished author and a storyteller she's fucking magical uh, and her latest book create your own midlife crisis the best way to make the worst decisions hit shelves recently which is why she's here to talk about a magical choose your own adventure book hi Marie hi there how are you this morning afternoon where you are
1: well, afternoon where I am. Well, I am. I am in a great mood because um, in the United Kingdom, the weather up until maybe one week ago has been one great big long, massive torrential rainstorm, okay. um, and the sun has finally come out. So this morning, I had a lovely long walk in um, in the park, and I had my lunch outside. I've been working on my tan, so I'm feeling pretty good. Yes, your Great Britain <laughs> tan. You get like three days I'm of British sun. Af- <laughs> the moment the sun comes out in this country everyone is outside in shorts it doesn't matter what the actual (laughs) air temperature is we're like we are taking full advantage we are we are outside um yes
0: absolutely yes i lived in portland oregon for a while and it was just like that it's trained like when it stops raining you go outside the end absolutely we appreciate we appreciate you do (laughs) um so I took, I took a long time to think about like, where do I want this to start? And I wanted it to start fun right away. Cause I don't want this to go all serious. And you know, mm-hmm. um, so I was looking around at the books. Um, so I think Chronicle hooked you up with magical marketing because at bit.ly slash create dash midlife dash crisis. Right. You can try yeah. the book out. And I was like, I've already read the book. That's fine. But I was like, I want to try the book out in this way. Um, I ended up texting photos of my boobs to Hot Russell, the executive beside me in a meeting. And then I ran from the office when he reported it as sexual harassment. And so that's what I did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a theory and I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I have a theory that the first time uh, anyone plays it's a slightly weird way vocabulary to talk about this because you sort of play the book or you play the game in the book but anyway my theory is the first time anyone plays the game they actually do what they would do (laughs) and then later (laughs) they try out all the other all the other roads so um when it's friends of mine who've who've been there who've been playing the book I can often guess what their first what their first path will be um because you get to be you get to be more or less naughty although of course i'm controlling all the choices so uh, so so yeah there are certain there are certain ways in which i direct your limits on what you can choose but uh but yes people tend to go their own way so do you think you really would have flashed your boobs at the executive co-worker next to you and then run away um, in a midlife crisis sort
0: of a situation, it's entirely possible. I was just shocked it's when he reported. It's entirely yeah, I was just shocked <laughs> when he reported his sexual harassment, which was like, oh, come on.
1: Really? It was an extremely underhand move from Hot Russell, I know. Oh, I, know. I have really, terrible
0: behavior. Oh, I have such good boobs, Hot Russell. You're making a mistake is the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how did this come to be? How were you like, listen, Chronicle Books, here's what you don't have like how did tell me the story please of how this came to be and where where the idea came from and how it came to fruition just wherever you would like to go with that please take it
1: well I mean partly it came to be because well I'm now 45 uh years old and so so this is a stage of life that I am entering and my my friends are entering and and dealing with um but I've I feel like it is something that's being talked about more, the challenges that the women in particular face in midlife, but it's something that on the whole, the things that I've seen have often been quite serious, um, you know, and often even quite, uh, there's a lot around at the moment where women are expressing their anger mm-hmm. um, about the, the, you know, the way that life has treated them, the, the, the things that life has, has thrown into their path. And I think that's completely legitimate. And I think there's a lot of really interesting work around, but um, I wanted to approach it in a more fun way because I feel like this is, this is a phase of life that pretty much everybody goes through in different ways. I mean, all our circumstances are different, but that, that recognition of, um, as, I, as I repeatedly put it in the book, I wonder how I ended up here. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it's largely universal. So so I was thinking, how can I do this and make it funny? And somehow Choose Your Own Adventure just popped into my head almost immediately. There is something, I think it's because when I talk about um, my sort of life path with my girlfriends, we often talk about the way that, that we didn't realize that the decisions that we made you know going through life were are going to lead us to where we are now and and then it becomes very difficult to reconstruct each choice takes you down a different path you know and then mm-hmm. and then you can't you can't go back you can't have a do-over and and you keep sort of going further and further and having more and more choices and that that's that's how i experience you know what my, what my life has been and then this slight bemusement or befuddlement for good or for ill of how on earth did, did life bring me where I am now? So I wanted to recreate that in this, in this game form. And then of course it gave me the opportunity to become as outrageous as I wanted in terms of the kinds of things that might befall you in midlife. And, and I really just tried to have as much fun as possible coming up with sort of crazy and outrageous, but still I think most of the time rooted in reality um outcomes for your midlife path yeah that was the part that was surprising to me that was like the the
0: go and have ayahuasca or the buy a motorcycle or the burn your house down (laughs) like (laughs) these all seem reasonable to me yes yes these all seem like good options at this phase in life and so i was surprised by that
1: Uh, hopefully not too many people will take the opportunity to burn down their house but i i sort of feel like You know, after when you're halfway through a bad kitchen renovation, (laughs) the the temptation is strong to just be like, you know, screw this. Mm -hmm. Let's just burn it down and start over because, uh, you know, I cannot have one more conversation about grouting.
0: Um, Yes, tile or tiles, man.
1: Oh, we can't. I just just, a friend uh, of mine just redid his kitchen and, and they had to change the counter three times because there was a problem with it each time. You know, it's the kind of thing. You just think, oh, just, just light a match. <laughs> um, and the thing is in life, and I think this is for good, most people do not light a match, but it's nice to be able to explore that in the imagination. That's what the book gives you the chance to do. It gives you the chance to, uh, to, to try out the things that maybe in real life would be a terrible idea, but on the page you're safe. So you can indulge, you can indulge your worst inclinations. Yeah, I think it was the very first
0: thing I did when I got the book because it's on the cover. You have three choices: run away to Brazil, get a tattoo, or burn down your house. And I was like, "Well, I mean, <laughs> what are we going to do here if we don't start with burning down the house?" I mean, <laughs> if we do not
1: start with burning down the house. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, so what was your midlife crisis like? And if you haven't have one, had one? Like, what inspired you? You stopped, talked about talking with girlfriends and like what what was the sort of impetus that was where were you in crisis or maybe you didn't have crisis?
1: Oh I oh I did oh I did (laughs) don't worry about that yes no I've fully been through one I've been through at least one I'm not sure we talk about them in the singular I'm not sure any of us are limited to just the one but um yeah I mean I I think maybe I I either had two or possibly one in two parts which is to say that Um, at 38 I decided to just drop everything and go and live in Amsterdam Mm -hmm. and um, I mean I really I I didn't know anyone I'd been to Amsterdam once before for two days and I thought I liked it I didn't know anyone there I didn't have a job to go to I didn't speak any Dutch I didn't have any ties to the place whatsoever and I just packed a bag and went um, so I think that sort of counts as a bit of a midlife crisis, and that was very much as a response to the fact that I was in my late 30s, my friends were all getting married, they were all having children, and that wasn't happening for me, and I felt quite quite stuck, and I felt like I really needed to change something. So, so I went off to Amsterdam. So I so we call that Part A, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: and then I I made a life for myself. I, I met a Dutch man. We moved in together. We got a place together, and then you know, the best part of six years later, the relationship was going wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I chucked it all in again, <laughs> left it all behind, left Amsterdam, left the Netherlands, um, left all the friends and the, the career I was making for myself there, moved back to London, moved into, you know, that stage at the age of, I guess, 43, moved into a house share Um, with a couple of other women Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah and and now I I live a life that I it's not entirely typical of uh, of women of my age I guess at 45 to be single um, sharing a home with a couple of friends and uh, yeah so I I sort of feel like there was a it was like a two-part crisis and I think what makes it a crisis rather than just two big life events is i think the real characteristic of a midlife crisis is that is that it is coming to terms with the fact that you cannot make your life perfect and when i look back on my 30s i felt not only the pressure to try and build the perfect life but the actually the belief that it was possible and now having gone through what i've been through i think oh Oh, I don't have to worry about that at all because you know what it's not possible it is not possible because it does not exist and the relief of that so the 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 sort of fight to have it the grief of giving up on it and then the relief afterwards of thinking you know what I don't even have to think about that anymore I can just live the life that I have but I do not need to try for perfection because it is not available and I think that is what makes, you know, the last, whatever, six, seven years of my life a, a kind of drawn out, perhaps slightly early midlife crisis.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're an overachiever on the starting that front. So you've got mm-hmm. it out of the way. <laughs> can, like,
1: the I mean, I'm not ruling out another one. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> as I said, let's not limit ourselves. But, um, but no, I feel like I did learn a lot from, from that stretch of time
0: yeah coming I love that phrasing that you use coming to terms with the fact that you cannot make your life perfect and tell me about some of the ways that you tried to make your life perfect earlier on was it was it like a real striving or was it sort of a vague nagging like this could be perfect but it's not or were you like double down on perfection this is happening in this lifetime
1: I think and you know as as with anyone there are sort of multiple strands I think my first novel, God's Behaving Badly, was was very, very successful internationally, and and there was a point at which, you know, I could see it all in front of me that I was going to become this incredibly famous and successful novelist, uh, you know, and 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 that there was that, that obviously was very attractive, and there was there was a mm-hmm. sort of glamour to it, mm-hmm. and and that didn't happen. I mean, I just, um, well, I also, I mean, <laughs> before Amsterdam. Uh, I, I had a, I had a breakdown and um, and and I spent I spent some time uh, being treated for severe anxiety in, in in a psychiatric hospital because I I could not take the pressure I just simply could not take the pressure um, to live up to this standard that that had happened and and with no disrespect to my first book which I'm extremely proud of what I hadn't quite realised at the time is it's to do you know hopefully the book is is good but there's also a huge amount of luck involved but i felt like i could control that i felt like if i did everything right i would go from from strength to strength i would keep releasing best-selling books and and that that was that was something that i could make happen on my own but i couldn't you know i couldn't And I, I carried on writing books and personally i i think they're just as good but you know things changed, life changed. and it, took, it just took me a long time to realize that the number of copies of books that I'd sell was not the true measure of I, either the worth of the book, but m- much more importantly of my own worth. Um, so that was, that was something like I, I, was, I was pushing so hard to be the best in my career, to be the best writer. Mm. And by best, I kind of probably meant most successful, most famous, selling the most copies, not necessarily, which I should have had my attention on, writing the the work that is the best for me. So that was a really big thing. And I think the other thing was just this idea that by a certain age, I needed to have a husband and uh, possibly a baby. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that is just not within your control. I mean, you can do things to make it more likely, but you cannot force that to happen. But I, I sort of believed somehow I picked up this idea that I could make everything happen by making all the right decisions, by by trying and trying and trying. Um, and that's that's just not the way that, that life is.
0: Yeah. Well, I picked that up too, at some point along the line. So I, I, I feel you. I understand that completely. And the, it's fascinating because you, um, my understanding of God's behaving badly is that you were sort of meteoric. And then you talk about this pressure and like, was that pressure from the outside? Was it, was it, was it your, your publishers are screaming down your neck or was it mostly the sort of internal, like, well, now that I've done this, it just has to be better from here on out.
1: I think it's both you know I feel like we we live in a very noisy society by which I mean you know we're constantly surrounded by by social media online media I mean actually at the time that God's Behaving Badly came out we were pre-social media just I think it was 2007 Mm -hmm. anyway it certainly wasn't the phenomenon that it is now but you know my that book was reviewed everywhere and it was reviewed extremely positively but just the very fact of it being reviewed really brought home to me on a visceral level that I was living this in public and that people would judge me Mm -hmm. whatever it was that I did so I certainly felt a pressure from the outside world that I needed to follow up that book with another that would be equally well received but also of course it came from the inside it came from this um you know from ever since school you know you're working so hard you're trying to get your grades you have a sense of what you can achieve if you fall short you feel disappointed like it's built into us from very early on so I also for myself felt like well you know what does it say about me if I can't if I can't maintain this if I can't continue this it means I'm a bad writer and if and that means I'm a bad person so it's 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 from the inside and from the outside and and I think sudden success of the type that I had Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it certainly it sort of throws you into um a situation that nothing can prepare you for it's just so public Mm -hmm. um and then what happened was of course that uh, by the time I had had my nervous breakdown, recovered from my nervous breakdown and written another book, which I think took me seven years. It wasn't public anymore because everyone had pretty much forgotten about me. So mm-hmm. so then that, there's a bit of humility that goes with that, of like, oh, it's not my amazing comeback. It's like, well, the world moved on in that time. And so coming to terms with that is, yeah, it's, you know, it's a challenge. But um, the, the way that I have come to terms with it is to really remember that what matters is for me what matters is 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 the writing itself it's it's my experience of of creating work and creating work that means something to me and that if anyone ever reads it that is the bonus but it's not it's not the it's not the measure of the worth of the work or of myself
0: that's beautiful and how did you get from that point so you're at this point where like there, it, there is a point in your life in which like, you know, Sharon Stone has been cast in the film that you, you know, that's based on your novel. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other point that you just described where you are hospitalized for anxiety. And how do you get from point A to point B to point C where you're able to write again without it meaning that it has to be the best thing in the world and without it meaning that it has no meaning whatsoever, that there's this place tell please talk to me about that place because i think that's interesting to my people it's interesting to me yeah the place where you are you are the hottest of the hot shits right like (laughs) you are you are fucking it and then i don't it's uh it's a little bit like when billy ellis she won a grammy for her first album Mm. um there's that's a lot of pressure Yeah. And how do you, how do you come into the place? Did it, was it the second book after that? Was it the third book? Was it, when did you start to feel like there's a groove here? And if I can follow this, it's going to, it's going to lead me to a place of like better and deeper and more joyful creativity.
1: Mm. Well, it's funny. I think it was Macy Gray who said something along the lines of that she learned everything through trial and error, but she wished that there had been another way of learning it, but that there wasn't. I mean, I, you know, it, that is absolutely not a direct quote, but I do remember reading her saying something along those lines in an mm-hmm. interview. And while I wouldn't actively recommend losing everything, there is something to be said for it because you're afterwards you think, well, look, I, you know, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. So I had so much success you know, and at my darkest hours, I sometimes think, oh, you know, I threw it all away. I, I wrote another book after God's behaving badly. And it just, it, it wasn't published. It just wasn't very good. And I mean, that is seriously humbling for the ego. I mean, e- even I could see, how, you know, I put a lot of time, a lot of energy into it, and it, it just didn't work. And, you know, my publishers very kindly told me as much, They not in a mean way at all. But this, this sort of, feeling of like, I, I, you think you need a thing. I need my second book to be as successful as my first. I need to write a better, even better second book. And I need it to be a success. And if that does not happen, the consequences will be terrible. Mm. And then it doesn't happen. And then you think, oh, well, I'm still me, you know. I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that makes it sound easy. And it wasn't because I had to go through the breakdown first and the breakdown was very, very, very painful and difficult. So, so yes, I have, I have slightly skated over that, but the, the breakdown was very painful, but after I had hit rock bottom of anxiety and panic and just really feeling like uh, there was a point at which I thought I will never write again. I cannot do it. I cannot do this. It is over for me. I'm going to have to find a whole new career. I'm not even sure that I can work. I'm just going to have to find a way of living with this overwhelming and unbearable anxiety. And then I had, you know, I had a lot of therapy and I had, um, I had some medication for a while and so on. And I had this time in the hospital and gradually I, I sort of poked my nose out into the sun um, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Mole at the beginning of um, The Wind in the Willows, but that's mm-hmm. how it felt coming sort of coming out of the ground into the into the light again. <laughs> yeah. And then a friend of mine approached me and said, Do you want to write this little funny thing with me? It'll be a little um, he, he does these live shows and it'll be a li- just the letters that can be letters between two horses. He said I had this idea for letters between two horses. Um, Napoleon's horse and Wellington's horse during the Napoleonic Wars do you want to do this with me well this seemed just like a fun little easy thing that I could you know a letter I can write a letter mm-hmm. and that is within my capability so I started writing this little thing with him and we we, we would perform it or well, I wouldn't because both the horses are male but we he and another actor would perform it at this little show a little friendly show that he does with you know a, a really nice small receptive audience nothing too intimidating mm-hmm. the first thing that I noticed was that it was fun mm. It's like oh yeah oh yeah I forgot I like writing <laughs> I just <laughs> forgotten that part so uh-huh. I'm like oh I like writing so it doesn't so I could just do it because I like it and for no other reason um and then that uh that show that we did got picked up by BBC Radio 4 here in the UK and it got it got recorded with Stephen Fry. I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Fry, big actor here in the UK, playing one of the roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the next, I'm like, wow, I'm, 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 I'm writing a a, a radio show for Stephen Fry in which, in which he pretends to be a French horse from the Napoleonic Wars. Well, (laughs) that was an unexpected twist. (laughs) But that, but then I realized, oh, you know, it's, it's up, up is, is the same as down. It doesn't, it's it's nicer. I'm not gonna lie to you, it's nicer, but the work is the same. The experience of doing the work is the same. And and as long as the work is fun and I enjoy it and it means something to me, it, it's sort of it the, the 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 ups and the downs seem seem almost almost random. Um, sort of bits of good fortune, bits of ill fortune. I mean, the same friend and I wrote another series of about a 1990s uh, heavy metal guru from Finland who has a pen pal in a British boarding school. And I mean, that one, no one's interested in that. That's never been broadcast. <laughs> that's never, that's gone nowhere at all. But we had, we had fun doing it. It was not a waste of my time. So I think, I think that there's, it's that Kipling quote about treating triumph and disaster both the same, which has become a bit of a cliche. Um, and indeed, uh, it's quoted in Bridget Jones's diary, a fantastic, about the sequel, fantastic book, highly mm-hmm. recommended. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that once you figure out that, that, that these things, are, you cannot control them and they are not the measure of you, then suddenly those ups and downs don't, don't affect you in quite the same way. Because the down doesn't mean that you're terrible, and the up, I'm afraid, does not mean that you're amazing. Yeah, it's just life. Um, it's just life.
0: Is that is that something that, in your experience, is that something that comes with midlife? Is that you're like, okay, I've had enough experiences that I know that I'm probably going to survive this? Um, yes,
1: I would say absolutely. First of all, it's I've, I've you know I've been through some stuff now, and I've I've gone through the other side. You know. First mm-hmm. time you get your heart broken, you think I'm never going to recover. Second time, you're like, oh, I probably won't recover. Third time, you're like, oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been through this before. It'll be it's horrible. <laughs> It'll be fine, you know, but it's, it's like having the flu, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get over it. Um, I think so. I think it comes from that. And I also think that it comes from having some doors closed. Like I'm 45. I'm never going to have a kid that door is closed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I may have a stepchild one day, but I'm, I'm not gonna have my own. And you think, okay, I can't, I cannot have everything. It is not available, it is not possible. So you either have to spend your whole life feeling terrible about the stuff that you don't have and goodness knows there's a huge marketing industry out there, really keen to make you feel bad because you might buy some stuff. Um, or you go, okay, well, you know, I don't have some things and I have other things.
0: Yeah, there's a sort of peace with that. Um,
1: there is, but, but, but you, in a way, I think the midlife connection is when you're younger, all those doors are, feel like they're still open so you, you you create the illusion for yourself that you can in fact have everything and it's only then the doors start to close then you feel terrible about those doors closing and then you you move on a little bit further and you think oh oh i don't have to keep pushing at that door i could just leave that door alone you know i can i can walk through the doors that are open or i can i can appreciate what i have and and that i think does come from from being aware that there are certain things that you don't have that you can't have and to stop stop fighting it so hard
0: yeah that's that's beautiful yeah because there's there's something about um, i remember how sad i felt when i realized that i was too old to stay in a hostel Like it was, i was just mm-hmm. i'm too goddamn old for this no
1: <laughs> oh i'm gonna no i'm gonna pick you up on that because when i was um 18 years old i went hosteling around australia mm-hmm. and lots of the people I met in the hostels were people in their 60s who had recently retired and decided to go hosteling around Australia so I am not going to accept that you are too old
0: I like it Um, it's mostly it's not because it's a hostel it's because I'm such a light sleeper that I will get no sleep ah
1: well that is a different that is a different concern yeah that's uh, no I'm not I'm not I'm not letting you off the hook on the basis of age
0: Oh, no, no, I'm happy to travel. I just can't stay in the <laughs> There's like a, there's a line of like, no, I need, I need my own space with like you know, my, walls and my own bathroom.
1: <laughs> well, the own bathroom is the thing. My dad is in his eighties and he recently, not that recently, obviously, cause we've just, you know, in pandemic, but mm-hmm. but not very many years ago, he was off somewhere staying in a hostel. I can't remember why, but, um, but yeah, if my dad can do it, at, I'm going to guess 79. But then again, I think my dad could probably sleep through, you know, a tornado. So he's yeah. maybe not the <laughs> best example to choose.
0: Yeah, that's the helpful part. That's the helpful part. <laughs> so what do you feel is, um, especially through pandemic, cause um, you're, we're seeing some shit here. Um, mm-hmm. What has been the best part of getting older despite all the like weird and awful and terrible bits and the doors closing and all that stuff? like? what do you think are the the gifts here? Because I think we're touching on some of them. Mm. Um, do you have any others that you're like, this is the, a dope part of getting to the place where um, those doors are closed and you don't have to think about like, am I going to have a baby this year? Or am I going mm. to am I going to go and live in Spain once and for all? Like, you're not, it's fine. <laughs> um, um, well, well, I
1: mean, this is... One of the things that that is great about getting older, and I think perhaps we don't necessarily really think about it in these in these ways is, I've just accumulated 45 years worth of of life, you know, so I've done stuff, I've done a lot of stuff and, Mm -hmm. and the longer you live, the more stuff you get to do. It's it's like a straightforward mathematical proposition. Like, <laughs> you know, every every year that passes, I I, I fill it with more, more things that I've done, or more books that I've read, or or more more friends that I've hung out with, and more films that I've seen. You know, more more suntans that I've got sitting outside in my garden, and the just the appreciation that gosh, there's just so much life to live. And, and I've been doing a pretty good job of living it. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is just it's just a good feeling. And I think from time to time, it doesn't hurt to um, to enjoy, to rest on your laurels a little bit and just enjoy all the adventures that you you've already had. While at the same time thinking, especially at midlife i've got loads of time well hopefully fingers crossed right but Mm i i can have more i can i've had adventures i have more adventures to come maybe different types of adventures but it's it is there you know it's all there it's all life is there for you to live it
0: it is, and I love it. I'm just being kind of quiet so you can keep on riffing because the longer <laughs> you live, the more stuff you get to do is a pretty cool way to put it. But it's, um, I know a lot of people that would put have to do there instead of get yes, to. Yes, it's true.
1: I mean, you know, it's funny. It's going back to the things that you have and the things you don't have. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a single woman and I don't have children. And culturally, that is, it's, culturally that's an uncomfortable position to be in. Culturally, we, we put a lot of pressure on women to mm-hmm. to be in relationships and to and to have children. And those things are very rewarding, extremely rewarding. However, if you do not have those things, you get to do a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and that is one of the things that isn't always emphasized in in the way that in the way that you know we present women in midlife and beyond there's there's often something slightly sad about the spinster you know the the unmarried woman and so on and and also i mean you know people often think that that so for example as i said i live in a house share and that can look like it's it's studenty and something you would never choose to do except in financial necessity but i really like living with my friends i'd much rather live with my i've lived on my own and i've lived with friends and living with friends is is much more fun So I feel like, you know, when my when I'm with when I my friends who are who are married who have kids and who are talking with you know great love and joy about their families, I do, you know, sometimes feel sad. I think, oh, you know, I really missed out on that. But then, you know, I I I might say, oh, you know, I've decided to go to go walking for for a week. You know, with a tent, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go and climb some mountains and go walking. And they're just like, that's, I couldn't do that, you know. I I, I I have friends who don't have time to read a book. They just can't read a book because they're too busy looking after their families and trying to do their career and all of these things. And not to say that the families and the careers are not rewarding things, but I like spending a whole Sunday on my couch, reading a book. That is a very enjoyable day for me and I can do that. Mm-hmm. So so looking, looking at what you have, I mean, without wishing to sound trite but you know looking at where you have things that where if your life had gone differently you wouldn't have that I mean the boyfriend that you don't have is the perfect boyfriend right the boyfriend that you're not with right <laughs> would be one that you would never fight never. But you're never you're never like as you as you sort of as you're driving along on your own you're never thinking about the hideous argument you could be having about directions. It's like, oh, I wish I had a guy in the car. We'd be singing and listening to the radio together. Oh, if I had a baby, it'd be so adorable. It definitely wouldn't be vomiting all over this car because it gets carsick. Screaming, you know, it be, it hungry, screaming it would be screaming. it would be adorable <laughs> i would love it with all of my heart like mm-hmm. the thing that you don't have is always perfect and then when you have it you're like huh no i do love my baby but i'd rather not have someone vomiting all over me on a regular basis that's but fair. that's you know that's part of the parcel it is. I think
0: you're so brilliantly illustrating that our mind only emphasizes the positives of having a thing and the negatives are like, well, don't worry about that. This is, this is fantasy. We need you to be miserable with what you don't have. And we need yes. you to not acknowledge that there will be vomit involved in children.
1: Like that's Absolutely. just how it is. <laughs> it is. It is, it is part of the deal mm-hmm. and, and everything, you know, anything that you have, anything that you don't have will always come, will always come with a downside and an upside. and, so I think in, I think the kind of the way to, I mean, these are all things to aim for, right? You know, I'm, I'm not like perfectly Zen about my life at all times, by all means. I mean, just yesterday I was on my bike thinking, oh, I've wasted my life. it's I've made terrible mistakes. Why why am I all alone? My, my book is going bad. The book I'm working on is going terribly badly. I've wasted it all. I met up with a couple of friends and they're like, oh, you know, this isn't going well for me. are oh, my company's move to the other side of the country I have to decide whether to go with them oh I just lost my job you know they we all had stuff going on and Mm -hmm. I just thought but you know what we're together we're sitting in the park eating a sandwich you know this is not a glamorous Mm -hmm. picnic but we have each other we're sharing this moment we have the freedom and the ability to 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 just sit for an evening and share our time and we're allowed to be together which for several months we were not Mm. Um, Even outdoors, you know, in the UK. And so, so, yeah, it's, it's, of course, some people are in terrible situations where there probably is no upside at all. But for, for most of us, there is some, there is some good with the bad and, and some bad with the good.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of upside, and sometimes sometimes less so. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that yeah. I love that perspective that there's always going to be a bit of shit and a bit of fantastic. And um,
1: a friend of mine says the grass is always greener on the other side because the shit is different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that causes those green variations mm-hmm. in color. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. absolutely.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> The book is Create Your Own Midlife Crisis, The Best Way to Make the Worst Decisions by Marie Phillips, who you have been listening to and been charmed by all this time. Um, Marie, obviously, we're going to go and buy the book. Um, is there anywhere else that you would like to point us to in terms of your work, your projects, what you're working on, get on your newsletter list, come and love you on social media? What
1: would you like wow. us to be? I mean where to even begin with the list but yes I have uh, so I have a website at mariephillips.co.uk which is a good place to go to because it will point you to all of my my other books um my uh you know all of my social media feeds you can find me on twitter uh, I'm probably most active there I'm sort of poking my nose into instagram very late but I've, I've got big plans for that but there's not much on there at the moment mm-hmm. I have a not particularly interesting but very informative Facebook page and I have a newsletter at Substack um, which is so mariephillips.substack.com, uh, which is kind of um, semi-regular or semi-irregular but where I pour out all my thoughts on all kinds of things and I have an exciting uh, I think my next one's going to be about my war on slugs I've there's a lot of slugs in my garden I have a lot of thoughts about those slugs <laughs> so if you want to read my thoughts on slugs you better sign up for my newsletter pretty soon
0: that is the best marketing pitch I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> Listen, my thoughts
0: on slugs are coming. Okay, so you better mm-hmm. get on that. <laughs> uh, this has been delightful, and miraculous, and I regret having ever felt any sort of worried about it. You are delightful and charming, and I hope everyone ever buys your book. Is there anything else that I haven't covered that you want to say that you want to cover or any any place you want to point people to? hit it
1: no not particularly it has been an extremely joyful experience and um, I'm totally delighted to have been invited onto your show so thank you so so much I've really really enjoyed myself Um, and it's been great to virtually uh, meet your audience Um, and uh, yeah thank you very much thank
0: you and have a good one you too